Chapter forty eight of Principles of Geology. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Principles of Geology by Charles Lyle. Chapter forty eight, part two. Manner in which ships may be preserved in a deep sea it is extremely possible that the submerged woodwork of ships which have sunk where the sea is two or three miles deep has undergone greater chemical changes in an equal space of time than in the cases above mentioned for the experiments of scoresby show that wood may at certain depths be impregnated in a single hour with salt water so that its specific gravity is entirely altered it may often happen that hot springs charged with carbonate of lime silex and other mineral ingredients may issue at great depths in which case every pore of the vegetable tissue may be injected with the lapidifying liquid whether calcareous or silicious before the smallest decay commences the conversion also of wood into lignite is probably more rapid under enormous pressure but the change of the timber into lignite or coal would not prevent the original form of a ship from being distinguished for as we find in strata of the carboniferous era the bark of the hollow reed-like trees converted into coal and the central cavity filled with sandstone so might we trace the outline of a ship in coal while in the indurated mud sandstone or limestone filling the interior we might discover instruments of human art ballast consisting of rocks foreign to the rest of the stratum and other contents of the ship submerged metallic substances many of the metallic substances which fall into the waters probably lose in the course of ages the forms artificially imparted to them but under certain circumstances these may be preserved for indefinite periods the cannon enclosed in a calcareous rock drawn up from the delta of the rhone which is now in the museum at montpelier might probably have endured as long as the calcareous matrix but even if the metallic matter had been removed and had entered into new combinations still a mould of its original shape would have been left corresponding to those impressions of shells which we see in rocks from which all the carbonate of lime has been subtracted about the year seventeen seventy six says mr king some fishermen sweeping for anchors in the gulf stream a part of the sea near the downs drew up a very curious old swivel gun nearly eight feet in length the barrel which was about five feet long was of brass but the handle by which it was traversed was about three feet in length and the swivel and pivot on which it turned were of iron around these latter were formed incrustations of sand converted into a kind of stone of exceedingly strong texture and firmness whereas round the barrel of the gun except where it was near adjoining to the iron 
there were no such incrustations the greater part of it being clean and in good condition just as if it had still continued in use in the encrusting stone adhering to it on the outside were a number of shells and corallines just as they are often found in a fossil state these were all so strongly attached that it required as much force to separate them from the matrix as to break a fragment off any hard rock in the year seventeen forty five continues the same writer the fox man-of-war was stranded on the coast of east lothian and went to pieces about thirty-three years afterwards a violent storm laid bare a part of the wreck and threw up near the place several masses consisting of iron ropes and balls covered over with ochreous sand concreted and hardened into a kind of stone the substance of the rope was very little altered the consolidated sand retained perfect impressions of parts of an iron ring just as impressions of extraneous fossil bodies are found in various kinds of strata after a storm in the year eighteen twenty four which occasioned a considerable shifting of the sands near st andrews in scotland a gun-barrel of ancient construction was found which is conjectured to have belonged to one of the wrecked vessels of the spanish armada it is now in the museum of the antiquarian society of scotland and is encrusted over by a thin coating of sand the grains of which are cemented by brown ferruginous matter attached to this coating are fragments of various shells as of the common cardium maya etc many other examples are recorded of iron instruments taken up from the bed of the sea near the british coast encased by a thick coating of conglomerate consisting of pebbles and sand cemented by oxide of iron dr davy describes a bronze helmet of the antique grecian form taken up in eighteen twenty five from a shallow part of the sea between the citadel of corfu and the village of castratus both the interior and exterior of the helmet were partially encrusted with shells and a deposit of carbonate of lime the surface generally both under the incrustation and where freed from it was of a variegated colour mottled with spots of green dirty white and red on minute inspection with a lens the green and red patches proved to consist of crystals of the red oxide and carbonate of copper and the dirty white chiefly of oxide of tin the mineralizing process says dr davy which has produced these new combinations has in general penetrated very little into the substance of the helmet the incrustation and rust removed the metal is found bright beneath in some places considerably corroded in others very slightly it proves on analysis to be copper alloyed with eighteen point five per cent of tin its colour is that of our common brass and it possesses a considerable degree of flexibility it is a curious question he adds how the crystals were formed in the helmet and on the adhering calcareous deposit 
there being no reason to suppose deposition from solution are we not under the necessity of inferring that the mineralizing process depends on a small motion and separation of the particles of the original compound this motion may have been due to the operation of electrochemical powers which may have separated the different metals of the alloy effects of the subsidence of land in embedding cities and forests in subaqueous strata we have hitherto considered the transportation of plants and animals from the land by aqueous agents and their inhumation in lacustrine or submarine deposits and we may now inquire what tendency the subsidence of tracts of land may have to produce analogous effects several examples of the sinking down of buildings and portions of towns near the shore to various depths beneath the level of the sea during subterranean movements were before enumerated in treating of the changes brought about by inorganic causes the events alluded to were comprised within a brief portion of the historical period and confined to a small number of the regions of active volcanoes yet these authentic facts relating merely to the last century and a half gave indications of considerable changes in the physical geography of the globe and we are not to suppose that these were the only spots throughout the surrounding land and sea which suffered similar depressions if during the short period since south america has been colonized by europeans we have proof of alterations of level at the three principal ports on the western shores caleo valparaiso and conception we cannot for a moment suspect that these cities so distant from each other have been selected as the peculiar points where the desolating power of the earthquake has expended its chief fury on considering how small is the area occupied by the seaports of this disturbed region points where alone each slight change of the relative level of the sea and land can be recognized and reflecting on the proofs in our possession of the local revolutions that have happened on the site of each port within the last century and a half our conceptions must be greatly exalted respecting the magnitude of the alterations which the country between the andes and the sea may have undergone even in the course of the last six thousand years kutch earthquake the manner in which a large extent of surface may be submerged so that the terrestrial plants and animals may be embedded in subaqueous strata cannot be better illustrated than by the earthquake of kutch in eighteen nineteen before alluded to it is stated that for some years after that earthquake the withered tamarisks and other shrubs protruded their tops above the waves in parts of the lagoon formed by subsidence on the site of the village of sindri and its environs but after the flood of eighteen twenty six they were seen no longer every geologist will at once perceive that forests sunk by such subterranean movements may become embedded in subaqueous deposits both fluviatile 
and marine and the trees may still remain erect or sometimes the roots and part of the trunks may continue in their original position while the current may have broken off or leveled with the ground their upper stems and branches buildings how preserved under water some of the buildings which have at different times subsided beneath the level of the sea have been immediately covered up to a certain extent with strata of volcanic matter showered down upon them such was the case at tomboro in sambawa in the present century and at the site of the temple of serapis in the environs of puzuoli probably about the twelfth century the entrance of a river charged with sediment in the vicinity may still more frequently occasion the rapid envelopment of buildings in regularly stratified formations but if no foreign matter be introduced the buildings when once removed to a depth where the action of the waves is insensible and where no great current happens to flow may last for indefinite periods and be as durable as the floor of the ocean itself which may often be composed of the very same materials there is no reason to doubt the tradition mentioned by the classic writers that the submerged grecian towns of burra and hellas were seen under water and it has been already mentioned that different eye-witnesses have observed the houses of port royal at the bottom of the sea at intervals of eighty-eight one hundred one and one hundred forty-three years after the convulsion of sixteen ninety two buried temples of kashmir the celebrated valley of kashmir or kashmir in india situated at the southern foot of the himalaya range is about sixty miles in length and twenty in breadth surrounded by mountains which rise abruptly from the plain to the height of about five thousand feet in the cliffs of the river jhelum and its tributaries which traverse this beautiful valley strata consisting of fine clay sand soft sandstone pebbles and conglomerate are exposed to view they contain fresh-water shells of the genera limnius polydina and serena with land shells all of recent species and are precisely such deposits as would be formed if the whole valley were now converted into a great lake and if the numerous rivers and torrents descending from the surrounding mountains were allowed sufficient time to fill up the lake basin with fine sediment and gravel fragments of pottery met with at the depth of forty and fifty feet in this lacustrine formation show that the upper part of it at least has accumulated within the human epoch dr thomas thompson who visited kashmir in eighteen forty eight observes that several of the lakes which still exist in the great valley such as that near the town of kashmir five miles in diameter and some others are deeper than the adjoining river channels and may have been formed by subsidence during the numerous earthquakes which have convulsed that region in the course of the last two thousand years it is also probable that the fresh-water strata seen to extend far and wide 
over the whole of kashmir originated not in one continuous sheet of water once occupying the entire valley but in many lakes of limited area formed and filled in succession among other proofs of such lake basins of moderate dimensions having once existed and having been converted into land at different periods dr thompson mentions that the ruins of avantapura not far from the modern village of that name stand on an older fresh-water deposit at the base of the mountains and terminate abruptly towards the plain in a straight line such as admits of no other explanation than by supposing that the advance of the town in that direction was arrested by a lake now drained or represented only by a marsh in that neighbourhood as very generally throughout kashmir the rivers run in channels or alluvial flats bounded by cliffs of lacustrine strata horizontally stratified and these strata form low table-lands from twenty to fifty feet high between the different watercourses on a table-land of this kind near avantapura portions of two buried temples are seen which have been partially explored by major cunningham who in eighteen forty seven discovered that in one of the buildings a magnificent colonnade of seventy-four pillars is preserved underground he exposed to view three of the pillars in a cavity still open all the architectural decorations below the level of the soil are as perfect and fresh-looking as when first executed the spacious quadrangle must have been silted up gradually at first for some unsightly alterations not in accordance with the general plan and style of architecture were detected evidently of subsequent date and such as could only have been required when the water and sediment had already gained a certain height in the interior of the temple this edifice is supposed to have been erected about the year eight hundred fifty of our era and was certainly submerged before the year fourteen sixteen when the mohammedan king sikandar called buchikan or the idol-breaker destroyed all the images of hindu temples in kashmir farishta the historian particularly alludes to sikandar having demolished every kashmirian temple save one dedicated to mahadeva which escaped in consequence of its foundations being below the neighbouring water the unharmed condition of the human-headed birds and other images in the buried edifice near avantapura leaves no doubt that they escaped the fury of the iconoclast by being under water and perhaps silted up before the date of his conquest berkeley's arguments for the recent date of the creation of man i cannot conclude this chapter without recalling to the reader's mind a memorable passage written by bishop berkeley a century ago in which he inferred on grounds which may be termed strictly geological the recent date of the creation of man to any one says he who considers that on digging into the earth such quantities of shells and in some places bones and horns of animals are found sound and entire after having lain there in all probability some thousands of years 
it should seem probable that guns metals and implements in metal or stone might have lasted entire buried underground forty or fifty thousand years if the world had been so old how comes it then to pass that no remains are found no antiquities of those numerous ages preceding the scripture accounts of time that no fragments of buildings no public monuments no intaglios cameos statues basso relievos medals inscriptions utensils or artificial works of any kind are ever discovered which may bear testimony to the existence of those mighty empires those successions of monarchs heroes and demigods for so many thousand years let us look forward and suppose ten or twenty thousand years to come during which time we will suppose that plagues famine wars and earthquakes shall have made great havoc in the world is it not highly probable that at the end of such a period pillars vases and statues now in being of granite or porphyry or jasper stones of such hardness as we know them to have lasted two thousand years above ground without any considerable alteration would bear record of these and past ages or that some of our current coins might then be dug up or old walls and the foundations of buildings show themselves as well as the shells and stones of the primeval world which are preserved down to our times that many signs of the agency of man would have lasted at least as long as the shells of the primeval world had our race been so ancient we may feel as fully persuaded as berkeley and we may anticipate with confidence that many edifices and implements of human workmanship and the skeletons of men and casts of the human form will continue to exist when a great part of the present mountains continents and seas have disappeared assuming the future duration of the planet to be indefinitely protracted we can foresee no limit to the perpetuation of some of the memorials of man which are continually entombed in the bowels of the earth or in the bed of the ocean unless we carry forward our views to a period sufficient to allow the various causes of change both igneous and aqueous to remodel more than once the entire crust of the earth one complete revolution will be inadequate to efface every monument of our existence for many works of art might enter again and again into the formations of successive eras and escape obliteration even though the very rocks in which they had been for ages embedded were destroyed just as pebbles included in the conglomerates of one epoch often contain the organized remains of beings which flourished during a prior era yet it is no less true as a late distinguished philosopher has declared that none of the works of a mortal being can be eternal they are in the first place wrested from the hands of man and lost as far as regards their subserviency to his use by the instrumentality of those very causes which place them in situations where they are enabled to endure for indefinite periods
and even when they have been included in rocky strata when they have been made to enter as it were into the solid framework of the globe itself they must nevertheless eventually perish for every year some portion of the earth's crust is shattered by earthquakes or melted by volcanic fire or ground to dust by the moving waters on the surface the river of leth as bacon eloquently remarks runneth as well above ground as below End of chapter 48, part 2